1: enough photos of Black America enjoying ice cream, right? Whether it's children, men, women, families, I need people to know the history. Like if you see it, it's like, this is Black history.
2: Hey, everyone. It's me, Tamara Celeste from Soul Foodie, and I am here with my other half, Derek Kirk, founder and creator of Soul Foodie. And we just want to tell you a little bit about Soul Foodie and why it started and what Soul Foodie is all about.
3: Yeah, it started about five years ago. Uh, I've worked in the restaurant industry in a marketing capacity for an extremely long time. I was at a bit of a career crossroads. And was in an internet hole researching African-American and Black food ways. And like I said, I've worked in the restaurant industry for a long time, but I discovered all of these amazing brothers and sisters who were excelling and innovating across a wide spectrum of Black food. From from venters that I didn't know about, farmers, chefs, authors, food bloggers, uh, other business owners many of which I was not familiar with, like I said, despite being in the, in the business for a long time. So I said to myself, I can't be the only one that would really be passionate and interested about these stories and learning about these individuals. So it started simply as a Twitter account. And I
2: remember you coming to me, um, what, five years ago, and saying you wanted to put this together. And we didn't quite know what that looked like at the time. But your whole purpose was that you found these stories, like you just said, and you really, you wanted to create a community to share these
3: stories. And really, it's all about creating a social media community where I can, like I said, provide a glimpse into the Black experience in America, but look at it through the lens of food, beverage, and also culture. Because culture is very important. So what we do is we just share these stories in a timely manner. A lot of it's fun. Try to be a little nerdy because that's 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 who I am. The accomplishments, like I said, of of these sisters and brothers in the food and beverage industry, it's often overlooked in mainstream outlets. So what I try to do is just create a space exclusively for us or for those who want to participate.
2: And then with regards to the podcast, just so everyone knows,
3: I'm the extrovert. I was not interested in talking. No, not me. Exactly,
2: exactly. And Derek is the introvert out of the two of us. And being a part of Soul Foodie and just talking to so many people, you know, I really wanted to do something to bring these stories to life. And I just want our listeners to know all about them, get to know them a little bit more on a personal level and, you know, and just help to, you know, make their stories known. So that's how the podcast got started. And I'm very happy that Derek, that you and I are working together on this because I know I kind (laughs) of dragged you into this, but I think we've been having a lot of fun with it. And I hope our listeners will enjoy the podcast. So today's guest, Lokalani, I have to say, I love that name. I love her name. Love, love, love her name but I also love her spirit. So we were fortunate enough to meet Lokalani. We had we were in Nashville over the holiday weekend and we had a dinner party and Lokalani was one of our guests. We had the opportunity to sample some of her amazing ice cream. We had, I think Lokalani brought over how many flavors?
3: Five or six. You know, I was just always been intrigued by her creativity. Certain things like a hot chicken flavor or a gin and juice, or a magnolia flavor that, that really has the essence of a magnolia flower. Yeah, you were
2: pretty intrigued by that magnolia <laughs> flavor. Right. <laughs> so so anyway, let's get right into the podcast, and I hope our listeners will enjoy it as much as we did. So um, I love your name, and just doing a little bit of research, we discovered, which I'm sure you know, of course, that Lokalani is, an, is the official flower of Maui. and and alabanza is praise in Spanish. Have you been inspired by your own name to create an ice cream just based on that because it's just such
1: a beautiful flow? No one has ever asked me that, so thank you. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a good... Okay, see, I got some inspiration today. So
2: basically, you are a trained pastry chef who graduated from the New England Culinary Institute. So... Tell us about that journey from pastry chef to now owning and creating saturated ice cream.
1: I didn't have any intention when I set out in culinary school. I just knew that no one looked like me and there weren't a lot of women in the industry at the time. And so I thought, I want to learn how to do this and maybe run a restaurant, be a chef. I never saw myself as becoming an ice cream maker. It just started off that there were no more positions for me to be on the hotline as a line cook, but there was an opening in the pastry department. And so I ended up getting into the pastry department realizing, Oh, I actually have a knack for this. Like I can do this thing. And so I ended up doing it and it just became this calling and it kept going. And I was in LA for eight years. And then I would leave, go get married, move to Okinawa, Japan for four years, <laughs> go, back, go to Las Vegas, It was hard for me to get work in the kitchen there. So I just ended up starting my own thing there. I was making these hand pies and working retail at the same time, which was wild. And then we moved back here, which is where my ex-husband at the time was from. He's from Portland, Tennessee. And so we came to Tennessee and I got this job at the Hutton Hotel, which put me back in the position of being an executive pastry chef and into this world again. And That's a nice hotel. Glad it was a boutique hotel because it was a nice place to start because it had been so long right. since I had been in this environment. And so I loved it. It was, I was being as creative as it possibly can be. And then I ended up leaving and my friend said, Hey, I'm going to this place. They needed a baker. And I went, I'm not a baker. I'm a pastry chef. <laughs> so he kept trying to egg me on forever and I kept blowing him off. And then finally he said, no, 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 come meet the chef. I meet the chef. And then I meet who would then become the owner of the creamery that I work for. I got the job and the first week I was there, she came to me and said, we're opening this creamery and we need you. Would you come over? We have two and a half weeks to get this creamery open. Had you ever
3: worked in any depth or breadth in the ice cream space?
1: So when you work in a kitchen, if you're in a pastry department, you're working with ice cream, right? But you're working right. on not a commercial scale. So commercial scale means large quantities of something. Right. So right. I've used a Jet before, which is this really wild. I think it's a Swiss made ice cream machine. It's very quick. You use it at service. You know, those beautiful quenelles you see in pictures. You're like, Oh, the ice cream looks so beautiful. Mm -hmm. That Apaco jet does that. I've been in a space. I knew how ice cream was made. I knew the science behind it, but I didn't know the scale as to which I could make it at. So then I enter and it's, we need X amount of flavors. (laughs) We have this machine. No one can use it. We don't know how. So it took the serviceman who brought the machine to teach me the machine. And then I had to go off of figuring out math very quickly and how to take, let's say, two quarts of something and turn it into 20 gallons of something and make sure that it's not curdled. It doesn't spin icy, that it tastes delicious. You know, there's all these things. So the first nine months were, they were unreal. I mean, it was the education of my culinary career fully was this ice cream.
2: Interesting. that job and started saturated Ice
1: Cream? Yeah. So what happened is I had been at that job for four years. I was the creative director. I had made 300 flavors of ice cream.
2: Wow. Ice cream.
1: So during that time and during my time living in the South, it just opened my eyes. I've always loved culinary history, but it opened my eyes more to black culinary history and preservation, all the stuff that people don't talk about. So it was oh, I can find these things and pull them into ice cream, right? Especially nostalgia, you know, like memory and, oh, I've had this flavor at this time when I was a kid and it reminded me of this moment. I realized that ice cream can tell a lot of stories. It's not just this, you know, you go get a scoop and it's refreshing. It's really on this other level. And so the pandemic hit. Actually, this was the most, it was the biggest blessing. I was permanently laid off, actually. And so that pushed me into the, well, what are you going to do next? And the pandemic Mm -hmm. hit at the same time. And my dad kept saying, you're going to start this business that you've been talking about for the last couple of years. And so I thought, okay. And so... (laughs) It took a little, you know, had to talk myself into it, you know, talk to some other people and sit, meditate, think about it. But then eventually it happened. It led to Saturated. I knew what it was going to be the whole, you know, for a while. I knew the name. I knew what I wanted it to become. It was just lining everything up and making it happen.
3: Right. So you attended the... I think it was New England Culinary Institute. And I read somewhere that I guess once you got to Knoxville, you discovered all of these historical Black cookbooks. It's similar to when I started Soul Foodie. I've worked in the restaurant business for over 20 years. About four years ago, I discovered just the depth and breadth of Black folks who are excelling in food fields that I didn't know about. You know, I knew about some chefs, I knew about winemakers but I didn't know about people who were sommeliers. I didn't know about the farmers out there. I didn't know about a lot of restaurateurs up and down the foodways. And so you mentioned one book in particular, Jemima Code, Tony Tipton Martin's book, and the influence that that's had on you. Could you, A, talk about that? And, and first, have you had the opportunity to meet her?
1: Oh, so we'll start with the second question. No, I have not. One day. I just, I can't wait for us to have a conversation about this extraordinary work that she has done. I'm just the biggest fan. As for the first part of the question, yes, 100%. I drove out here from Las Vegas to Nashville by myself. So it was a three-day journey. And I listened to a lot of the gravy podcasts by the Southern Foodways Alliance. And they talked about the Jemima Code. And this is six years ago. And I'm driving. I went, what? How did I not know? (laughs) <laughs> my entire culinary career. That is what is sad because in school, they didn't have these tools. They didn't have these tools at New England Culinary Institute. They didn't have them in restaurants. They didn't talk about this. And I found myself as a very voracious reader and I, I seek knowledge, you know, in any form there is. And so I, I, Remember, my friend came to visit. I moved here September. She came to visit December. We went to a bookstore and there was a copy of the book still in plastic. And she said, it's a sign. You have to buy this book right now. And I bought it and I didn't open it for probably a week. I was just so overwhelmed. I didn't know what was going to be inside. I was very excited.
3: You were intimidated by the book?
1: Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) It's just 200 years of like, you know, African-American cooking of cookbooks, you know, it's a lot. And I opened it and I remember just being blown away it was my grandmother my mother my aunties all of this in these books and it starts at an early period in the 1800s and it goes until you know the 80s and 90s you know there's a huge timeline and so it started off like that and I just started reading them and opening them and reading headers and pages and then you find these beautiful stories of recipes from you know a woman who worked on a plantation and she was enslaved at the time and, but had this beautiful recipe for a spice cake. And you're like, what? This is over a hundred years old. This is insanity, but it still has life. So what do you do with that life? You can take it and you can put it into something else. And you know what I thought, this is what this ice cream can do. This ice cream can take this spice cake where this recipe is almost, you know, X amount of years old And I can put it into this ice cream and give people a little bit of this person's past or, you know, their story. And so that's what that book has really helped me define what my own role is and my own culinary identity has been. We
0: will
2: be right back after this message.
3: So I get it. The cookbooks themselves, the culture itself serves as an inspiration for all these flavors. But as I look through some of these, if you say it's sweet potato casserole or hot chicken, you know, I, I can imagine a chess pie ice cream my grandmother used to make there in East Nashville. What's the process that you go through to make sure it delivers on those flavor expectations?
1: Listen, you're speaking truth about this expectation. (laughs) So when I worked at the creamery, the lineup was about Southerness, right? Like I knew there had to be Southern flavors. We're in the South. How do you not pay homage to what's around you? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So my grandmother made banana pudding and it was delicious. And she was from Cleveland, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Chattanooga area. I knew that was an important flavor and it had to be good. It had to have vanilla wafers it was very specific on the wafers, the bananas, what's going to take the place of the whipped cream. There's all these things. Well, is
3: it whipped cream or meringue?
1: Exactly. I used <laughs> the secret. I didn't do either one of those.
3: Oh, okay.
1: I actually used, maybe I used marshmallow cream. I'm just saying it worked out really okay. well. No one has complained. It was not good All right. Sweet potato casserole, the same thing. You know, the sweet potato holds great importance in the black community, you know, and it has a lot of history. And so those flavors are very specific. And so you either have had a mashed sweet potato, a baked one, or you've had mashed, you know, sweet potato casserole, which has brown sugar. It has spices in it. It has marshmallows on top. You know, it's very specific. Sometimes it has nuts. So you have to take all those nuances and those pieces and put them together. It's almost deconstructed, but it has to taste. That's the point. It might not physically look like it, but as long as it tastes and it invokes that nostalgia, then you have done your job. The hardest one was hot chicken, though. That one took me a year. It was it was hard. That was a hard one to mimic. Okay,
3: I've been to Prince's. I understand it. I don't play in the top levels of that menu because I'm afraid. So how did you translate that into an ice cream?
1: I wanted to pay homage to the creators of this hot chicken. Prince's was the first, you know, that came to mind. And I thought, okay, how do we do this? No one wants to give up a hot chicken recipe for obvious reasons, which I respect. And I had a friend who owned a bookstore a couple of doors down from the creamery. And I would go in there and we'd talk. And he said, you know what, Loki, uh, I wanted to open a hot chicken uh, restaurant here in Columbia, Tennessee. He said, but I am i can't. And he let me have his recipe. And he said, but you can't let anybody know what's in it. And I was like, okay, promise. I think the first batch, I actually had the hot chicken fried. We put the paste on it and then steep that in the ice cream, which sounds crazy. It's obviously cooked chicken, right. but you're like steeping it to pull these flavors out. And it's like, oh, this isn't working. It's kind of got the flavor. It doesn't have the flavor. And I kept asking all these chef friends around me, and which was really helpful. And one said, why don't you just use chicken skin? And I went, oh, geez. Genius. So we deep fry this chicken skin, you know, chicken fry, deep fry it, and then toss it in this hot chicken mix. Steep that overnight into this base, and it pulls out the color. It pulls out the fried. It pulls out all of that heat. And it was insane. People's reactions were unreal. Unreal. Because there's the people that are adventurous, and there are others that are like, no way, not happening. It just... It worked out, it worked out. I haven't made it in years. So that's
3: not a current flavor collection. You can't, I can't come to Nashville and order that.
1: It's not, I've gone in a different route. Oh, also I had candied some of the chicken skins and then folded that in at the end. So you have-
3: Oh wow, you got that texture of the crunchiness of the-
1: Yes, yes. Oh,
3: wow. So- you have Derek salivating over here. to <laughs> 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 put in a special order for five gallons.
2: So, Loki, let me ask you. So you said the hot chicken took you the longest, about a year. When you think of flavors, generally, how long does it take you to create a flavor?
1: It doesn't take long. I really believe in seasonality. So for my own brand, I have core flavors that are always around. I call them year-round flavors. They're always there. And then you have seasonal, because I really think seasonal is very important, especially the spring and summertime. I mean, the produce is just, I mean, you can get anything. It can be strawberry berry season you have stone fruit season you have melon I mean there's just so much I try to keep that as a focus you need to feel inspired and sometimes you know I'm like I hit a lull where I go oh but the inspiration comes from anywhere it could be driving in the car watching something reading something listening to something anything really there's nothing in particular. It could be literally anything at any time. So
2: something just inspires you. You're like, hey, and you head to the kitchen and just start creating.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I definitely, either I'll take something I've done before or I have a list. Like I have a list of things I've never done that I haven't done yet that I'm still trying to loop in at some point. You know, one of our big flavors last year that I made for the summer was peach chili crisp. And chili crisp is this really beautiful condiment. And it's crunchy and it's got a lot of umami flavors in it. And there's heat in it.
3: It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was using uh fly by Jings, and I love that product and it's just everything. Is, that
3: whole brand is so cool.
1: The brand is spectacular. Yeah, yeah. She's really great. And I had these peaches uh, that my friend had canned and we just, I put them in that ice cream. I was like, we could do it with peach. And it just, I mean, people were like, what? <laughs>
2: right. right. I just love your passion when you're talking about creating your like, your they go up and it's like, "Ah, ah." yeah, (laughs) it's so exciting. So, Loki, you know, one of the things I love about you and your brand is how you infuse history, black culture and nostalgia into your flavors, into your business, just into everything. It's just so consistent. So one of the things I just wanted to talk about is um, I noticed on your Instagram last year for National Ice Cream Day, you posted a picture of a little black girl eating vanilla ice cream. And one of the hashtags was hashtag black history.
1: So for my brand, it was really important. I wanted it to be culturally aware that Mm -hmm. a black female is running this, create this brand. And this is, I've never been able to see enough photos of black America enjoying ice cream, right? Whether it's children, men, women, families. And so when I put it up, it's just I need people to know the history. Like if you see it, it's like this is black history. And there is this story out there about the Jim Crow era and vanilla. And there's a lot of stories about black America that has had a lot of they there's been a lot of makers that have done a lot for ice cream, but nobody talks about them. They've just been completely washed over. So it's trying to take that control back and that narrative and that story. It's certain days, it's just like, no, I want you to see that this is the past that we've been in, but this is where we're going now. I want to say is what really when I post the images. Um, And making it very clear, just the beauty behind it, you know, regardless. It's the same with, you know, watermelon and, you know, putting it in the gin and juice and the connotations behind that. And, you know, black history, it's like, no, we're doing something else. And we want people to know that we can tell a new narrative. And so that's been really important. With everything. So I'm just really intentional, I think, with everything that I post.
2: So just from an entrepreneur standpoint, because I'm a female entrepreneur, you're a female entrepreneur, any just advice you can offer just really quickly for anyone who's looking to you or just what advice would you give them if it's for someone looking to start their own business or who, who just started a business or early on in the process?
1: Ask for help. I'm one of those that'll keep going, keep going, keep piling it on. And it is, was the most fundamental thing is to ask for help. And also I learned, even when you feel like you want to give up, you cannot, like you have to keep moving. So those have been huge, massive things because it's easy just to take on a lot of stuff, but there's people out there that are going to be a little bit better. They're going to be better at you than in certain things that you need that help, whether it's financial advice or it's, you know, how to build a website or how to organize such and such. There's so many people out there that are willing to give their time and help if you just let them know that you need something.
3: We like to end these podcasts with um, questions. And some people say they're silly, but they give me insight. There's just three quick ones. So what is your closet food or snack obsession, that you would be- Cheez-Its. What?
1: I tell everybody. <laughs> what is? Cheez-Its.
3: Cheez-Its. See, you and I are in the same, part of mine is Cheez-Its <laughs> as well, but that's a good one. That's a good one. What's a food trend that you're really hating on right now? It could be a flavor. Okay. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> it's not. It's, it's not, not hating, it's just so funny. I think it was the baking craze. It was really the banana bread, so. So
3: what's a a trend that you're feeling right now, besides ice cream? Besides ice
1: cream. (laughs) I'm excited about, I think for me, it's been enjoying everyone else that's finding out what they are making, whether they've opened a new restaurant right now, or like, you know, they brave like getting through COVID and they have a new spot and they're doing something. That has been, the beauty is like, Getting food from them and supporting that.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Learned so much about you, your business, and you know we look forward to everything that's to come and supporting you. And- yes,
1: absolutely. Oh, this has been wonderful. Thank you for having me.
3: Please visit saturatedicecream.com to see all of Lokalani's delicious flavors, and also you can follow her on social media across every channel at Saturated Ice Cream. Thank you for joining us today. Please be sure to follow and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SoulFoodie, S-O-U-L-P-H-O-O-D-I-E. And check out our website at SoulFoodie.com.